following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. This morning I want to talk to you about um, resurrection revelation. I want to talk to you about the life of Thomas, how he had this resurrection revelation. And it was just so powerful. So the life of Thomas is as uh, Mary just pointed out, why don't we read just a text this morning from um, John chapter 20. We'll read from verse 24 to 29. Can we do that? Just uh, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12. Did you know that Thomas was a twin? So he was. his nickname wasn't Doubting Thomas. His nickname was Thomas the twin. It's really sad that he's known throughout history as Doubting Thomas. I feel really sad for him over that because uh, he's, he's a bigger man than just that one little bit of doubt. Now the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said to him, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days... Can you believe that? He sat in doubt for eight days and the disciples are telling him for eight days, but he's risen. And he's saying for eight days, unless I put my finger in the side, I won't believe. Then after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, and I love this, Miriam pointed this out, how Jesus helps us exactly where we're at. He doesn't He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't point out our weaknesses. He comes to us where we're at with incredible love and acceptance because he wants to take us on a journey, a journey of discovery. He doesn't want to hinder our journey. He wants to propel our journey. So he turns to Thomas and he says, Hey, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hand. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, I want you to focus on this. Because this is an incredible revelation. This is a resurrection revelation. These words that Thomas spoke on that day. My Lord and my God. And Thomas, and Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. How many fall into that category? They've not seen, but they believe. How many, how many fall into that category? Because the Bible says there's a special blessing that's reserved for you. Let me just talk to you this morning about how Resurrection Sunday joined all the dots for Thomas. And not only Thomas, but also the other disciples. See, up up until the resurrection, they had a high respect for Jesus. No doubt about that. Up until the resurrection, they were willing to follow Jesus. No doubt about that. They even had an understanding that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had that revelation in Matthew 
chapter 16, where Jesus was asking, well, who do people say that I am? Well, some say that you're, you know, one of the prophets, and some say this, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You got this revelation, but it's not a flesh and blood revelation. It's a revelation that comes from heaven. How many of you understand that it's so important that we actually transfer our information to revelation? Too many people live only on the information level. And so they do courses to get information. And they do Bible studies to get information. But I want to say to you that information does not produce transformation. And so the goal for you is not that you just have information, but that you actually enter into the transformation power of God's life into yours, where you become like Jesus. But can I tell you that information does not become transformation. Once information becomes revelation, that's when it produces transformation. And up until that point, the disciples had a lot of information about Jesus. But when, when the rubber hit the road, they all fled. They all took off. They all just, they, like little girls, just ran away. Sorry, girls, I didn't mean to offend you. They were like little people. Sorry, little people, I didn't mean to offend you. Let's move right on. Okay. <laughs> but you know what happened after they got resurrection revelation? Let me tell you what happened. Their whole lives were transformed. They never again ran away. You won't find anywhere in the Bible, after they received that resurrection revelation you, this is what you find. You find their willingness to lay down their life for Jesus. Just their willingness. Can I, can I just press pause for a second and just try to, try to lift Thomas up to another level maybe in your eyes? Because too many people call him Doubting Thomas. Now, now the fact is that we only have four records of Thomas speaking in the whole Bible. And just one of those records is him saying, I doubt. Unless I, unless I see, I won't believe. And the other three are incredible, powerful revelations that Thomas had. The first time we find Thomas speaking in the Bible is in John eleven sixteen, And this is the story of, of Lazarus uh, being sick and Mary and Martha sending uh, a message to Jesus and disciples, please come to Judea. Because that's where Bethany is, is in the region of Judea. And, uh, <clears throat> but all the disciples says, you better not go to Judea because as soon as you go there, Jesus, they're going to crucify you. But Thomas speaks up and he says in John eleven sixteen, let us go to Judea that we might die with him also. Wow, what an incredible voice that was. So why don't we focus on that one rather, unless I touch, I won't believe. Poor Thomas. Then the second time he speaks is in John 14. I mean, he spoke many times, but this is the only recordings that we have in the Bible. Where Jesus is saying, you know, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And then Thomas speaks up and says, but, but, but where are you going? Where are you going that we might follow? 
And that was, that was the trigger for that wonderful verse that we quote often in, in John 14, six, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But that was triggered by Thomas saying, you know what? We want to know where you're going because we want to come with you. Then the third time he speaks is, is here in, in John where he says, this is the doubting part, poor guy. But he's only known for the doubting part. And we give him a nickname, Doubting Thomas. Whereas in actual fact, the fourth time he speaks is my Lord and my God. And can I just say that when Thomas uttered those words, those words were the first time that any of the apostles had connected the dots that Jesus Christ was actually God manifest in the flesh. Until that time, you know, he was a prophet. He was a Messiah. He was a great teacher. But even though Jesus himself had articulated, I and my father are one, even though Jesus himself many times had articulated that he was in fact God manifest in the flesh, the dots hadn't clicked. And then all of a sudden, Thomas got resurrection revelation. And he added those words, my God, my Lord, and my God. And that forms the basis for our Christology. It forms the basis for our doctrine of Christology that Jesus is both man and God, fully man and fully God. And it was Thomas who was the first of the apostles to articulate it. Let me tell you how the dots were, were just joined. Because Jesus made 170 statements about himself. 170 statements. And the most famous of these statements are the seven I am statements that the Apostle John writes about in the Gospel of John. And so we find in John 6, 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he was signifying to all that were listening, that he was the sustainer of life. That when you eat of the, this, this Jesus, the bread of life, that your life is sustained, your spiritual life is sustained. Then Jesus moves from I am the bread of life to I am the light of the world. And in John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world. I am the one who illuminates your path. I am the one that shows you the direction through life. I am the one that creates illumination, that brings revelation. Jesus is the light of the world. And those that follow him don't walk in darkness, but walk in light. Can I just say that those that don't follow Jesus actually do walk in in darkness, and their eyes are actually blinded from truth. And what happens is that you're indoctrinated with false teaching that you believe is true. And that's the, and, and, and that's the whole energy of false teaching is that you actually believe it to be true when it's not. But those that follow Jesus get illumination. He is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. The third I am statement in the book of John is I am the door. In John chapter 10 verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. In other words, I am 
the access point to God. So if you want to go to God, there's only one door. There's not a side door. There's not a back door. There's only one door, and that's Jesus. He is the door through which we must go to meet the Father. Then he moves on into the next verse in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. That whole verse is introduced by the thief comes only to rob, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and I have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep that they might have the life that he has. Ah, How awesome is this? The revelations that Jesus had about himself and the disciples were noting him down saying, well, that's a good point. That's a great point. That's an awesome point. Then, in, then, then the, 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 uh, the fifth I am in the, in the book of John is, is found in John chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection and the life. Can I just say to you that on Resurrection Sunday, I pray to God that you've received this revelation that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that all that that, that have got confidence and faith in him will have eternal life. The sixth revelation, the sixth I am in the book of John is John 14 verse 6 where Jesus says, as I said before, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus. The truth that is in Jesus is the real truth. And anything that contradicts the truth of Jesus is a lie and a deception. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want life, it's only found in Jesus. And then the seventh I am in the book of John is found in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine. He who abides in me will be fruitful. Come on, if you want to be fruitful, you have to abide in the vine and have the life of Jesus flowing out of you, this nature of Jesus, the DNA of Jesus flowing into your life and out of your life. And what a wonderful thing it is to make the declaration, Jesus is alive in me. His life is in me. And because his life is in me, I'm able to produce the fruit of God out of my life. Who else has the life of Jesus flowing in them? And you can say, he is the vine and I'm the branch and he flows out of me and produces produces fruitfulness. I really believe at that stage, even though Thomas had heard all of these I am's, I am, I am, I am, he'd not yet quite made the connection of the revelation that Moses had in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. I mean, you remember the story there, the burning bush, where, where, where God speaks to Moses and says, I want you to go set my people free. And Moses says, but, but who will I say sent me? Who, who will I say has authorized me? And then creator God speaks and says, tell them the I am has sent you. And all of a sudden I believe at that point that 
Thomas had all the dots connected. He started to see the I am, the creator of the universe from Exodus 3.14 that revealed himself to Moses. He started to put all the dots of the I am's of John together and he began to realize Jesus is not just the Messiah, but he's actually God manifest in the flesh. He paid this price for my salvation. It is God that paid the ultimate price. And he bowed his knee and made that incredible declaration, my Lord and my God. How awesome is that? Can I just say three things that will happen to you when you get resurrection revelation? How many of you want to know the three things that happen to you when you get resurrection revelation? First of all, first thing that will happen to you is this, is that you will lose your fear of judgment. Why? Because there is, there's a fearful judgment awaiting those that, that know that one day they're going to have to stand before God. They're going to have to stand before God and be judged for all of their deeds. And so, and so what happens is this, is that too many people think that the way that we avoid judgment is by doing good things. And so, you know, you've got to do good things. You've got to do good. My question for you people that believe that you've got to do good things is this. How many good things do you have to do to overcome one bad thing? And how, how do you know what the price of a bad thing is versus the price of a good thing? And, and, and who decides? You know, it's, it's amazing that so many people have, have, have actually bought into this deception. Because who decides? Oh, well, well, well the, the, the universe decides. Well, what does that mean? How do you know that? What, what's your foundation for believing that? Well, the universe decides, and that's the way that it's done. It's, it's uh, you know, yin and yang and all that sort of stuff put together. It's all airy-fairy. What's the foundation for it? What, you're going to base your eternal destiny on some airy-fairy thought? Or do you have a foundation for what you believe? See, our foundation is the Word of God. Our foundation is this book that I'm telling you, people have tried to destroy. People have tried to wipe out. People have tried to ridicule. Let me tell you, they are dead and gone, but the book is still alive. It is still alive. The book of God is still alive. It is still filled with God's truth. It still declares the way. It still proclaims God's message for us. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he removed from us fear of condemnation. And Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, there's no condemnation for us. Why? Because Christ is in us. We're in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate means a defender. We have a lawyer. We have someone who stands before God the Father and declares our righteousness to Him because Jesus is our righteousness. What a wonderful thing it is to have a defender of the faith. We don't have to fear judgment because Jesus is our advocate. Second thing is this. We lose our fear of judgment. We lose our fear of death because of the resurrection. Jesus conquered death. We lose the fear of death. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 15, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death 
were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How many people do you know that are just afraid of death? That just this fear of death grips them? Maybe you, you know Christians that are afraid of death. The message that I have for you on Resurrection Sunday is this. You don't have to be afraid of death. Because death has lost its sting. Death has lost its power. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He understood that. He had a revelation of that. For him, he says, you know what? For me, to be with the Lord is better. It's only for your sakes that I'm here. Because I just know, if I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. And that's what I've designed. I've, I've been designed to live with Him forever and ever. See, for me, death is a promotion. See, when I close my eyes here on earth, the next time I open my eyes, there's Jesus right there in front of me. Come on, those of you that have lost loved ones. Miri was talking today about the grief that she suffered when her dad passed away. But let me tell you, her dad was a born-again Christian. When he closed his eyes here, the next time he opened his eyes, there's Jesus in front of him. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. And when we grieve, we don't grieve like those that have no hope. Why don't atheists do funeral services? Why, why isn't there a big line of people knocking on an atheist's door saying, hey, will you do the funeral service for my loved one? Why, why, why do they knock on a minister's door? Because when it comes to the final day, an atheist has got absolutely nothing to say that will comfort anybody. You know why? Because an atheist says, well, hey, you're just going into nothingness. You're just going into this blackness. That's all there is. And in your heart of hearts, everybody knows in their hearts of hearts, that isn't it. There's got to be something after this life. And I want to tell you, there is something. And that wonderful something is the creator God of the universe who's waiting with his arms outstretched for those that are born again, saying, death has been defeated. You will live with me forever and ever. Come into my presence and enjoy the blessing that's reserved for the righteous forever and ever. Come on, death, where is your sting? It's been removed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the assurance that we have because he rose from the grave we too will rise victorious. Amen. Amen. Third thing that we lose, third thing that happens because of the resurrection, the third revelation, resurrection revelation that we need to get is, number one, we lose our fear of judgment. Number two, we lose our fear of death. And number three, we lose our guilt and our shame. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to lose the guilt and the shame. Amen. Come on, get a bit more excited about that. Losing your guilt and your shame. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of you have got stuff in your past that you feel shameful over? How many of you? I tell you, I've got things in my past that when I think about it, I just cringe it's just so cringeworthy. It's just like, oh, man. But you know what? Jesus comes and he removes all the guilt and the shame. And he puts hope. And he puts this incredible understanding that he has removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Our sins, our guilt, and our shame. What a wonderful thing it is to have it removed 
from us. Never, ever, ever, ever to come before us. Can I just say something to every single one of you? When God forgives any single one of your sins, that forgiveness is so complete that you will never, ever be reminded of it again. When you stand before God, he will never, ever remind you of what you did in your past. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. It just takes it away. It dissolves it. It's removed. It's totally removed. And this is why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8.11, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. And so what happens when you get born again is God removes sin from the inside of you and places his holy spirit inside of you. Sin versus holiness. Sinful spirit versus holy spirit. Sinful spirit removed. Holy spirit put in. You become a temple. You become a habitation for the spirit of God. All things become new. Your whole mindset becomes new. Your nature becomes new. The Spirit of God dwells in human, in humanity. What a wonderful thing it is to know that God's Spirit lives inside of you. And that's the power of the resurrection. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, He will quicken your mortal body. He will make your mortal body become alive through the Spirit that dwells within you. Come on, God has designed you to be a God person. God's designed you to be a person that's full of life, full of energy, full of goodness, full of kindness. You were designed by God to be a rat bag. You were designed by God to be a man of God, a woman of God, filled with the goodness of God, changing your world out of goodness and love and kindness and mercy. Well, I'm the only one excited about that. But... uh, but, uh, but I am excited about that, I'm telling you. That gives me incredible enthusiasm and excitement because the Spirit of God inside of me helps make me a better son to my mom, a better husband to my wife, a better father to my kids, a better father-in-law to my daughter-in-law, a better son-in-law to my mom and dad-in-law, a better friend to you a better pastor to this church. It's the Spirit of God that gives you that life. See, it's not about me trying. I got to. It's just, Holy Spirit, just work through me. Come on, Spirit of God, just work through me. Dying to self, living for God. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is on Resurrection Sunday to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit to come into your life. More, more of the Holy Spirit, just penetrating every aspect of my life, dying to the flesh, dying to sin, dying to my old nature and causing this new nature to rise up inside of me. This new nature that has the revelation of what it's like to be born again. Amen. Amen. Come on, Dave, come up. I'm just, uh, the plane is coming in for a landing. Are you ready? I love Resurrection Sunday. Why do I love Resurrection Sunday? Because it's not just about what Jesus did for himself. It's also about what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus has done for you. See, when he rose from the dead, he actually proved that everything he said was true. If he he stayed dead, then, then, then we'd have to doubt that 
that all that he said was true, but because he rose from the dead. And let me tell you that it is so documented that he rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul says that over 500 people actually witnessed his resurrection. And when Paul was writing, a whole stack of those people were still alive to be able to document whether it was true or not. Now, let me tell you, all you need is one or two witnesses to verify a fact. If you've got 500, there's no doubt about that. Someone worked out that, that if 500 people just spent 15 minutes testifying about the event, it would take 128 hours for them to finish testifying. So, so that, that's, that's a lot of testimony to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I, I believe that it's an historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Matter of fact, we've got an author that decided that if he can prove that Jesus didn't rise, he was an atheist. If, if he can prove, it's Frank, Frank something or other, I've forgotten his surname. If he can prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that actually he could, he could disprove Christianity. He can prove that Christianity is a fallacy. And so what he did is that he went and documented to make it his life's work to prove that Christ didn't rise from the dead. Guess what happened? He became a born-again Christian and wrote a book, Who, Who Rolled Away the Stone? And uh, he just couldn't work that one out. Why? Because there were guards there to protect the stone from being rolled away. Everything was set up to stop him from rising from the dead. It was all set up. You know, hey, 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 Pilate, uh, the disciples are saying that he's going to rise from the dead. But, but you know what? Let's make sure that he doesn't. Let's put some guards there. So it was all set up for it not to happen. But how many of you know it did happen because death could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. Satan could not hold him down. All the devils in hell could not hold him down. Can you imagine the devil saying, hey, we got to keep Jesus dead. If every single demon, you are now on work detailed. Nobody gets any time off during these next three days. We have to keep Jesus dead. We have to keep him in the grave. How many of you know that those, those arms just flexed and demons flew across the universe as those muscles flexed and death could not hold him down he defeated death he rose from the grave victorious he's the victor he took the keys of death and hades off the enemy he slammed the enemy down he rose from the dead my friends because he rose from the dead you have the hope today that christ that lives in you will quicken your mortal bodies and you will have eternal life come on let's give the lord a great big shout of praise today jesus is alive jesus is alive Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 